0: It's a kind of magic. It's a kind of magic.
1: Never a miscast. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show. It's Nathan and GJ here. And things are getting magical today. We're going to be looking at the magic phase of Warhammer Fantasy. How it changed, how it evolved over the years. What we like, what we maybe don't like so much. But first, let's talk news and hobby. GJ, why don't you start us off today? What have you been working on? What have you been doing? I know you've got a lot of stuff on the go.
0: Yeah, I do. I do indeed. I'm still painting those uh, same 20 Lodon Seaguard. The 8th edition models, they are really detailed. And I've been just messing around, getting the the water right, and then... uh, um, messing up again by painting over something that I have already painted and that I shouldn't have painted over.
1: Uh-huh. So
0: I, I just keep correcting my own mistakes. And uh, while well, they are nearing completion now, but I wanted to have a bit of a change of pace as well. So I've been working on copying some wings, some eagle wings that I am going to use for a couple of leftover Bretonian knights to turn them into Pegasus knights. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's at least that's the plan. Um, I, I I have been messing around with uh, blue stuff and Milliput and, and all that, but I'm not getting the results a professional recaster would get, so uh, you could probably see it's all homemade. But, well, let's call it tabletop standard and leave it at that. <laughs> uh, I've also been um, playing around with a Chaos Lord on Manticore. Uh, this was one that I got in a, in a lot, uh, second hand. The Manticore was built and undercoated, and the Chaos Lords that went on it was built and even had some paint on it. But the Chaos Sorcerer was completely unbuilt. And the person who owned this m- miniature before me thought it was a good idea to uh, glue the Manticore's head on with plastic glue. And I don't know if you know this set, but the uh, plastic Chaos Lord on Manticore has uh, the Manticore has two heads and two different necks. One for use as a monster without a rider, and one for use as a monster with a rider. So of course they glued on the head with uh, without the rider. So I had to get my craft knife in there, wiggle everything loose. Eventually took out a Dremel and. <laughs> broke two old files trying to just wedge it loose and eventually it came apart, with even with minimal damage. So now I have my manticore, I have my two heads assembled, I have my two riders assembled, and I should just magnetize them and then I can get to painting it eventually at some point in the future. So yeah, way too much stuff going on and that's just the miniature side of things. Because, as you mentioned, I also started a new project that has, well, maybe a little bit to do with Warhammer, um, which is, I have started writing fantasy short stories. And I, I've always liked uh, writing and making up stories. I've been a uh, DM for years for Dungeons and & Dragons. And uh, that's something that I've always loved, and I thought, well, how can I maybe put this uh, find an outing for these, this this uh, form of creativity so i um, made myself a new website a blog uh, just a, a regular wordpress blog uh, i called it the golden griffin it's uh, a name that i came up with years ago when i was trying to uh, write a fantasy novel back even in high school uh, it's probably l- lost somewhere on some computer that i no longer own but uh, the title stuck with me, so I thought, well, let's call my blog The Golden Griffin, uh, Make it an Inn, where you can uh, sit down, relax, give yourself a pint of beer and listen to, or in this case, uh, read some uh, fantasy short stories. That's and these awesome. stories uh, they, they well you, you could imagine them being set in, uh, in a world not unlike the Warhammer world or maybe Middle Earth or something like that. It's just generic fantasy.
1: Nice. And you've got a couple of stories up right now, I believe, as you you had mentioned.
0: Yeah, well, at yep. the time of recording, I have two up indeed. Nice. Um, one is about a, um, a wood elf who uh, encounters a group of bandits that are set out to uh, steal something from the woods. And the uh, second one is a story about a young alchemist's apprentice who... Uh, comes up against a very difficult problem and well has to deal with that.
1: Oh, excellent. I'm looking forward to the alchemist one. I've read the wood elf one. It's very very good. I can recommend that. Thank you. Do you want to share the uh, URL for
0: Yeah, is well it... the the URL is um, simply at the golden griffin uh, altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, .wordpress.com. Awesome. Just a cheap free site. But, uh, well, let's just see where this takes us, and uh, if you're listening to this, and if you think, well, I'm going to check it out, please also uh, let me know what you think, what I should be doing different, because I'm only thinking of myself as a starting fantasy author, so if you are a uh, maybe an author yourself, or someone who has read a lot of fantasy, uh, any tips or help is uh, much appreciated.
1: Yeah, this is very exciting, and... I've already tried to strong arm GJ into writing some short stories that we can use on the podcast here. Might have one for an upcoming Minotaur episode and uh, hopefully uh, a few more after that. We've actually featured one of your stories on the podcast already from the Hero Hammer fan magazine uh, when I did an episode on... It was squigs, on Squigs, I believe. I was yeah. like, it's either Squigs or Goblins. It's something I talk about all the time. What was it? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was on Squigs. And yeah, that's actually
0: one of the reasons, or maybe even the main reason that I thought, well, maybe I should give this a try to uh, to do this more often because of the uh, uh, very positive feedback I received from you on that story. And uh, then I thought, well, if, if people actually like what I'm writing, then maybe I should just... Uh, try to
1: write some more i'm so glad you did why thank you uh, i don't have anything quite that exciting uh the the best i can do for my hobby and news is that uh, i i continue my work on my hordes of Archaeon project for the summer for our uh storm of chaos summer campaign looking at doing some chaos nights and those guys are actually almost done. So the time you hear this, I might have pictures of them up on the Warhammer Orchard Facebook page. Put up some pictures of the Chaos Warriors that I did. And I was yeah, quite pleased look great. with those. Thank you. And I also started, just started making something. I don't know yet if it's going to be my favorite thing that I have made or... Just a complete abomination. Time will tell. But my issue is that I want to run Hordes of Archaeon. I don't have a Hell Cannon. And I don't think any self respecting Storm of Chaos players, if you're playing on the Chaos side, didn't get a Hell Cannon, unfortunately. Uh, I've never had one. And they are not very easy to get a hold of these days. The prices on the secondary market are somewhat insane and even going as far as russia or china if i was to get one there i don't think it would arrive before the summer was over and i kind of want to have this thing in the next month or so so i decided to make my own and i went in a different direction with it instead of building a cannon and like a chassis and trying to make it all spiky and and mean looking i decided to take my air hardening clay that I occasionally use for building silly things and sculptures and stuff, and make myself a hell cannon that is a giant, uh, tentacled demon head, uh, with the cannon coming out of the mouth, and uh, it's it's quite a thing. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, it's I I finished actually sculpting it, and I, I will caution that i am not a professional sculptor barely an amateur sculptor really but this thing is is a lot of fun it's got some kind of uh aliens from the simpsons vibe to it kang and kodos if you uh, if you remember them yeah uh they it kind of has that feel to it and so what i'm gonna do is i've got it sculpted now i gotta actually paint it up and then I'll, i'll throw it up on the orchard but it got me thinking when I was doing this, because this thing is maybe, oh, generously 5% Games Workshop parts. And I thought, I wonder how the guys in the campaign are going to look at this thing. Because I made sure that it's at least somewhat similar to the size of a hell cannon, And it looks like... A thing that shoots things like it's it you know it's got a big cannon for a uh a to- instead of a tongue and it's coming out of its mouth and now i'm just i'm wondering because i usually have i've got such a huge collection and, and most of the people i know have big collections i'm just like what do we think of purely scratch built models and i i thought about it and i'm like well as long as it as, as long as it's the same size or roughly there and it's got you know, if it's a cannon, it looks like a cannon, or if, it, if it's a monster, it looks like a monster. I don't think I'm super bothered. What do you think about that? Just as a general thing.
0: No, I'm not bothered by it at all. I even uh, uh, I, I don't mind uh, playing with or against, for example, third-party miniatures. And I know of people who are very good sculptors, and they make beautiful miniatures. Uh, i myself am i think on par with you maybe even a little bit below it not not even an amateur sculptor <laughs> uh, i did however dabble with it at some point i made a uh, a a second orc rock lobber out of just uh, balsa wood sticks and some leftover goblin parts and for that i had to sculpt the goblin's torsos okay. um which look Awful. (laughs) Uh, I also, when I got the plastic giant kit, uh, not the new uh, mega giants, but the the one before that, Mm. I also thought, well, there are so many parts left over, I can build a second giant out of it. All I need is the legs and uh, uh, the torso. So I uh, went ahead and and did that as well with some wire and some... um, uh, what's it called? The like the, the the paper uh paper tape around oh, yeah, it yep. and then uh, slap some green stuff on it and it looks very. I never field it because I have uh that's that's one of four giant models I have painted. So um, it is by far the ugliest. I am, <laughs> I've never fielded it, but I didn't want to waste the parts and uh, that's understandable. also uh, when I have some leftover green stuff, I'm slowly. Uh, putting it to work to build a uh a chaos giant the uh what's it called the chaos siege giant from the uh, um at least it, well it is in the Monsters arcanum book and maybe also in the storm of magic book for eighth edition
1: yeah i definitely remember it from one or maybe both of those that would be really yeah so easy. so that's that's something that i'm uh, slowly
0: working on but that's uh well, it's just basically me trying to uh, teach myself some sculpting skills. So yeah, a uh, uh, long story short, I would definitely allow it, especially if it's uh, if it is uh, something that's well done. I would love
1: to see that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't guarantee it's going to be well done, but I can guarantee you'll be able to see it <laughs> when it's done. I I think it's kind of charming. It's it's kind of big and dopey. Honestly, like it. it I think it fits in a little bit better in something like hero hammers it's a little bit cartoony but i am definitely going to use it and uh I, I don't think any of the guys that i play with would would have much of an issue with it i just thought it was an interesting thing certainly in the news hearing about uh games workshops coming ban of uh 3d printed parts and things at their tournaments uh, yeah. Which, I mean, certainly doesn't affect either of us, mind you, but it's uh, it was interesting because they've been really kind of silent on the whole third party and, and 3D printing. And it looks like they might uh, take a stand against it, which I think is a little bit of a mistake because I feel like that's swimming against the tide. But, you know, they're going to do what Probably, they're going to yeah. do. Probably, <laughs> so, yeah. And yeah. I,
0: I saw a nice uh, meme on it uh, about it on the internet in one of the Warhammer groups uh, the other day. Um, someone was saying, well, uh, today they put a ban on 3d printed material, but remember the old white dwarfs where you could just scratch build a model using parts from, uh, companies that, didn't, that, that, that weren't GW and you could just, uh, feature it in white dwarf yeah. magic magazine.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't even feel like that long ago, but I guess, I guess it is now. Like it's, it's our yeah, old mate. Yeah. I think <laughs> Yeah, which actually segues so well into, I guess, the other piece of of news that I have is uh, we're doing this podcast on my birthday. So that's fun. Yeah, yeah. I am full of cake and very happy about that. Uh, This has actually been a really good week. Uh, I was telling GJ before the cast that all I really want for my birthday usually is just a big cake. And uh, this year, my wife made me this triple decker monstrosity of a cake that i think is about five pounds and uh she gave it to me two days early <laughs> just so i could start eating through the whole thing and uh this is this is a good year for me because i always share my cake but i don't always want to <laughs> i'm i'm a big i'm a big lover of cake i don't have a lot of food vices but i i love myself just uh you know a plain kind of like a white cake with vanilla icing i i'm, I'm I'm so basic and uh, I, I do really enjoy it though. So been having a lot of fun with that. I've uh, been having a lot of fun putting together this uh, Hordes of Archeon thing. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a busy week, but it's been a good one. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it for me. I will just let you know that the War Games Orchard has a Patreon where you can find even more WarGames Orchard content. If you found the show, if you've listened through all the episodes, hey, guess what? We've got like seven extra episodes that you haven't even heard of on the Patreon. It's pretty great. <laughs> and <laughs> the uh, Patreon is non tiered. So for whatever donation you feel is earned, necessary, however much money you want to give us from a dollar to all of the dollars we are so happy to have any and all support you get the same access no matter what you donate and there's a lot of fun stuff there and there's going to be even more fun stuff we add things every month and yeah let's dive in to the magic phase of warhammer fantasy this is something that changed a lot and Ever since you've joined the show, GJ, our organization has gone up by like 300% because my organization was at least minus like 200%. So the math here is crazy. Uh, GJ made us this wonderful magic phase overview thing here where he, he spelled out all of the changes throughout the years and we'll kind of go through it and talk about how the magic phase worked, what things we liked, what we didn't like while we were playing it. And, uh, just kind of reminisce a little bit about what maybe were the what was the best of the eras and uh, you know would we like to see certain things moved over from one era to another but I guess we'll start off uh, with fourth edition and this is this is a neat one Fourth and fifth edition, of course, very close in a lot of ways. But in a lot of ways, there were there were a lot of small changes. And I think one of the larger changes was probably the magic phase between fourth and fifth. And starting off for the order of the magic phase, it's very different than all of the other editions on this list. Uh, we generate our Winds of Magic. Uh, and the players player who ter- whose turn it is may cast a spell. Then the opponent could dispel... And then your opponent could cast on your turn. You would dispel as the player whose turn it was. And then you would repeat again from step two. So you went back and forth casting spells. This is kind of neat. It definitely makes it a more active magic phase on everyone's turn. I think probably a more effective magic phase where you are casting spells every turn. And this is going to go away. After 4th edition. But it was also present in 2nd edition 40k. This kind of both cast in a single phase. In in 40k it's the psychic phase. And this was really cool. Because Magic in 4th and 5th edition is card based. It is kind of a card game in your game. And I I do really like that about it. I have never played 4th edition. So I should ask you. What what were what are your thoughts on this system? Yeah, it's it's very
0: nice. I love it. it the uh, well, both for the fourth and the fifth edition, just uh, you roll your dice for the winds of magic and to decide how many cards are dealt out to uh, to the players, and then you just basically put your dice aside until you need them for casting a spell, and then you're just playing with cards, and you've got these decks of twenty two cards. And they've got uh, power cards that you can use for casting your spells. And some spells are power one, some are power two, and the the biggest ones are power three. So for the power three spell, you would need three power cards. Uh, you would have them in your hand. You would put them on the table You're saying, I'm going to cast this spell, play three power cards. And then the opponent could decide to play a dispel card if he has one. And if he doesn't have one. Then he cannot play that. Uh, he cannot dispel the spell. The spell is automatically cast. And then there are some um, like special cards. There's a uh, drain magic card that would uh, end in the magic phase. There's a uh, destroy magic card. I believe that you could use as a dispel, but then you would also have a chance to uh, destroy the spell that was just cast and to uh, mess with the other player's wizard in that way. There's a um, total power card that you can use to, uh, well, it would basically be what in later editions would be called an irresistible force, so uh, as if you were rolling uh, double six or uh, 13 if you're a Skaven player. Uh, If you play a spell with total power, you don't need any other power cards and it's automatically cast. So there are a lot of those nice cards, Uh, there's even an escape that you can use to To save your wizard, if he suffers his last wound, you can just play an escape and he will disappear from the battlefield and return at some point uh, along the edge. And um, yeah, just uh, a lot of those shenanigans. And that makes the magic phase uh, really interesting, especially because you can, well, play both sides in the
1: same turn. Mm -hmm. And now... You say there is one total power card, and I have checked to see that. However, as soon as you play the game on the table, you will realize that there is an infinite number of total power cards that your opponent has. You will not (laughs) see the total power card. Yes. Maybe that's just me, but that seems to be the way that it, it shakes out a lot. Yeah, that is a. I, I,
0: I actually misspoke that there are more than 22 cards in the deck. There are 22 power cards and eight dispel cards, and then uh, one, two, three, four, five, six of those uh, special cards. Right. So you're at uh, 36 cards. But after a turn has been played, all the cards are uh, picked up again and shuffled back into the deck. So it is possible to, uh, well, in this case, Nathan, for your opponent to have a total power every turn uh one after another you don't wait until the deck's depleted yeah you oh it again. I,
1: yeah i've i've seen that happen <laughs> uh, yeah one of the things that i i find really interesting about this era and uh, something that is quite a limiting factor because spells of this era this is a powerful era for magic and some of the other ones, like 6th edition, 7th edition, are kind of so-so. But this is this is a powerful era. And the Winds of Magic. The Winds of Magic being you roll 2d6 or 1d6 if there's only one wizard on the table. You shuffle the deck, you deal the cards, and then the uh, caster gets the odd card. So if you roll a 7, or if I roll a 7, I get 4 cards, my opponent gets 3 cards. And this is one that... Man, it just, it's the most frustrating part of the magic phase sometimes is rolling those 2d6. And I know there's always kind of random mechanics for, for magic, but boy, oh boy, this is part of, in 4th in and in 5th edition, there's a real feeling of, like, when you roll, like, a 4, you're just like, well, great, like, I maybe I get one spell off this turn. And uh, it's it's a nice limiting factor. How do you find that uh, it plays wh- for you on the table? Like, does it does it get under your skin, or do you like it as a balancing mechanic?
0: It is a nice balancing mechanic, yeah. Because I'm um, so sorry, you your two cards about dispels. cast a spell. Yeah, and it does prevent those uh, because even if you have um, a a larger roll, so maybe like uh, six or seven chances are you're still only getting one or two power cards. So it it does prevent you from casting all those power tree spells like uh, uh, the Curse of Years and and all that kind of stuff that's, well, basically too overpowered to be allowed on the table. Mm -hmm. So you will only probably have maybe one or two turns in the game where you can get those kinds of spells off. So you you would have to... uh, take that into account as well when you are selecting your spells at the start of the game. Mm-hmm. Or while you're, of course, you're randomly drawing your spells, but you can, yeah. uh, um, I believe you can toss one back. I'm not sure. Last time I did, I used a, uh, a high, high elf mage and he was, uh, uh, he, he did have that ability, but I'm not sure if that's true I for all the races. I think
1: that's, I think that is a specific high elf rule i i don't think everyone um, else can can switch out like that uh if if they can then i'm going to be furious because i haven't (laughs) i have not encountered that so far in my games and i would uh, i would love to i would love to do that sometimes yeah this is and I, i think you've hit on something that is important to mention for for folks who maybe are more familiar with the later eras and not so much with the hero hammer era you randomize your spells and that that's not uncommon but the fact that you're also every turn you're getting random winds of magic on an average roll you're looking at about four cards if your average roll being a seven on 2d6 so the chances of you getting off you know that three power spell and you have to draw that spell as well. So there's a lot yes. of things that are kind of mitigating factors. And it's important because when you see what happens when some of these spells go off, you're just like, oh, yeah, that shouldn't happen every turn because I won't have an army left. But it, it really makes you wonder sometimes when you put a lot of points into a, a magic character i've had a lot of games where and i i usually like taking magic lords uh or, or generals or you know places to to park a lot of points basically and i have had that backfire on me so many times in hero hammer <laughs> with just like <laughs> yeah. drawing bad spells or just not getting the winds of magic when you need them and it's uh, it's it's frustrating, but I like I understand it as well. It, it's interesting dance. Man, uh, magic is such a neat feature in Hero Hammer and it's it's so unique, whereas I think I think it does lose something in the later editions because you, you don't have the cards anymore. You're just you know, it's it's a little bit more implanted into the edition itself as opposed to this where it's it was a separate box. This was almost like a separate game you played within the game.
0: Yeah, well, there's a good reason for it that, that mm-hmm. they changed it up. Uh, I uh, I heard an interview once with uh, Tuomas Piranen. I'm uh, probably butchering his name, but he was the, uh, the the guy, one of the main guys who uh, did the overhaul between uh, fifth and sixth edition. And what he wanted with the sixth edition book was uh, basically all the rules condensed into one book. So uh, you don't want players to buy a starter set for the rule book, and then I need to buy a magic set. And In the case of fourth edition, buy an additional magic set because fourth edition had two magic sets. Oh, right. And then buy a siege book and buy a skirmish book. So th- that's why the magic phase was uh, completely redesigned to be just dice rolling. But yeah, I, I do agree with you that it was uh, a lot um, more fun back in the day or even nowadays when you're playing uh, Hero Hammer.
1: Yeah, and I guess to to maybe counterpoint, and I understand where he's coming from, and from a like a consumer friendly way of looking at things, like that's awesome. Just put everything in one book. That's great, right? You're you're going out, you only have one thing to bring. There's a part of me, and it's a small part of me, because I do play fairly regularly with Patrick when things are opened up, and I'm always going over to his place to play. And so when we're playing Hero Hammer, I'm bringing my rule book, my army book the a whole book. magic expansion yeah, <laughs> and then my army of course and my accessories so it gets quite big and it, it's nice you know when you can just bring a, a single thing there is something really fun and special about those box sets of hero hammer and i'm not just talking about uh magic in in particular but also like realm of chaos and yes. the uh campaigns and stuff where you they were they were these wonderful little add-ons that and I mean, the the magic one isn't. I I don't really consider that an add on because it is a big part of the game. It's a whole phase of the game, so you kind of needed that one. But the other ones, you know, were were kind of add ons. And opening those up and seeing all the little templates, and you got the book that went with them, and it's yeah, just cardboard buildings. The cardboard buildings. Uh, I, I I don't want to defend, you know, parsing the game out, uh, you know, a little at the time to- uh, uh, at at a time, but. Man, those were so much fun. I remember getting Realm of Chaos and just like my eyes bugging out of my skull, like just seeing the, the various templates and the demon, the little demon summoning thing and thinking about like how cool that was and yeah. uh, seeing all the chaos gift cards and, and uh, oh, yeah, it was it was so awesome. Now those chaos gifts are the bane of my existence. I <laughs> every time I play with my Warriors of Chaos, they always get me. And they're supposed to be good for me. Like, I, I'm sure I'm paying a premium of points so that I get these things. And every time it's just like, oh, you rolled a one. I guess your Chaos Warriors are taking D6 hits with no armor saves. And I'm like, could you not? Maybe? <laughs> it's like, could, maybe Chaos Gods, could you Could you not? Yeah, I I do think from from a, a friendly to new player perspective, I, I think, yeah, the the old ones certainly have it. Or sorry, the, the newer editions certainly have it for ease of use. By the way,
0: I I looked up real quick um, uh, the difference between 4th and 5th edition for um, allocating spells, because that's one thing I forgot to put in my uh, Magic Phase overview. But in 4th edition you get um, uh, as many spell cards as you have uh, wizard levels, so if you have a level 3 wizard, he gets 3 spell cards. Uh, But then you can decide to toss any of them back and um, draw new ones. Uh, but in fifth edition, it's just whatever you get dealt. That's what you, oh, know, okay. what you have to play.
1: That's really good to know. That's really interesting. And we don't have to to move straight to fifth edition here, but
0: no, but fifth they, they edition sort of go hand in yeah, hand. Yeah, but it, and, fifth system. edition
1: does really kind of change. And I I want to say it it sort of nerfs the magic phase a little bit. It does. Yeah, it, it's not as powerful. You. Don't get that ability to play spells in your opponent's turn, which is kind of a big deal. The the one place, I guess, where it it does give you a little bit more leeway is there's always 2d6 Winds of Magic. So it's no longer necessary to have two Wizards on the table. Uh, it, It was actually the same for second ed 40k where you had to have two psychers on the table to get 2d6 uh for the the psychic thing it's it's funny how much second ed 40k was just like well what did what did the magic phase in warhammer fantasy do yeah let's do that for the psychic phase yeah it's it's fine
0: (laughs) yeah and and also uh, they put a variant rule in it for fourth edition that you can have um maybe if you have four wizards roll 46 for the winds of magic so and and then when one wizard dies, I go back to three d six and and stuff like that. So they mm. they do give you some options to to play around with,
1: and then that's that is quite nice. I do like that a lot. I like these additions for. I don't want to call it the sillier stuff, but the weirder stuff that could happen. You know those 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 odd cards, right? Like the drain magic, the uh, uh, demonic attack, or I might be thinking of second ed forty k for demonic attack, but. I think there is one in... that
0: is not in in um it's not in fantasy. Oh okay unless sorry unless I was thinking in of the, uh, one of the chaos boxes.
1: Yeah no I am thinking of of second Ed 40k cuz that's that's happened to me a couple times and it's always pretty humorous. But, no, uh... the, the
0: cards you have are uh, power cards, dispel cards, drain magic, destroy spell, mm. rebound, where you can just um, uh, somebody cast a spell at you, you dispel <laughs> it, and you can cast, I believe, one of your own spells back.
1: It's The Uno uh, the, reverse uh, card of uh, yes. <laughs> Warhammer <laughs> Fantasy.
0: The uh, aforementioned escape, where you can save your wizard's life, a total power, and the last one is a mental duel, and... where you can... Um, well, basically, just have a one of duel between your wizard and the other wizard and roll a d6 at your magic level and uh, the highest score wins. And, and then the other one gets a spell driven out of his mind. Mm.
1: This is the kind of thing where... I think if you've not played 4th or 5th edition before, it might seem like these are kind of like rare occurrences that only come up so often because most of the power or most of the cards are either power or dispel. I will tell you these happen all the time. Like escape happens all like I've, I've used it on many occasions and like the, the mental duels, the, the drain magic, it comes up at least once or twice a game, some of these special cards and they add such an interesting dynamic to it. It's, it's one thing that I miss is the interaction sometimes even between the wizards on the battlefield yeah, that made for these kind of cool duels and they were they were less overtly fatal, but, you know, you could mind blast your opponent, which is really neat. and Yeah. You know, knock a spell out of their head or something. Uh, I really like that.
0: I do remember one very memorable battle uh, it was fifth edition and I played undead against uh, Bretonians. And uh, we got some of the rules wrong because this was our first time playing fifth edition in a long time. So we thought overrunning is a thing, which it wasn't in fifth.
1: We made the same but, um, <laughs> the same mistake <laughs> when I started playing fifth again because you you so, get so used to it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but but well, my wizard uh, got killed time and time again, and every time I had an escape card, and every time I used it, I got it right back the turn after. <laughs> so I was just. Um, well, we stretched this game out for maybe uh, maybe because we have a household we don't play for a for number of turns because but until one side is wiped out okay. and I just kept appearing on the other side of the battlefield casting some zombies in, in between the knights and uh, <laughs> and and uh, the wizard and then uh, getting killed and reappearing on the other side and he had to turn around his knights and uh, putting down more zombies more skeletons Uh
1: <laughs> That's fantastic.
0: Yeah. I I lost I lost in the end, but um, it was a really nice uh, cat and mouse game.
1: <laughs> yeah, just just for the bit, I think that is worth doing a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the cool things you mentioned, you know, it's a necromancer uh, or an undead magic caster, necromantic magic feels so good in fourth and fifth. It's I my think favorite, the best
0: lore, and yeah. yeah, definitely my favorite as well it's even even just because you can uh you get to pick
1: your cards yeah and that's so powerful <laughs> yes it's so good and all like most of the spells you can find a use for and even if you can't you don't care cuz you get to pick which is such a it's yes. such a uh, leg up on the competition uh there's there's few things that are more satisfying than seeing uh, something like the gaze of Nagash or the the curse of years just decimate somebody with a you know a powerful necromancer. Also, I, I guess, and this isn't necessarily a magic phase thing. Boy, I loved that magic casters actually could fight in fourth and fifth yeah, edition. Definitely, you could make some really cool stuff going on there. But let's, yeah, let's...
0: see because, because back in fourth and fifth edition, they had uh they, they actually have it written out in the rule book. How characters are built. You just take a regular trooper's profile, and for every level of um of character, for example, champion, hero, lord, you just add stats, and the same goes for the four wizard levels. Mm-hmm. And and they actually have it written out in the in the rule book. So. Basically, they're just saying, here, go back and check if we did our homework. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) if you have a uh, a level four wizard, he has, uh, of course, the same movement, but one more weapon skill than a level three wizard and uh, a bit more toughness, a bit more strength. Uh, So all those stats increase so that actually when you get a high level wizard, he can hit just as good as a regular fighter character.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. And you you've got the can't wear armor issue with wizards, which is kind of their their downside uh, for making them into melee fighters. But I mean, there's ways around that, too. It's just nice that you can have a wizard that has uh, a little bit of punch. And it was interesting because they they really abandoned that idea uh, come sixth edition. The wizards were punished so, so hard, and it was oh, it yeah. was really sad, especially for things that were quite good, like necromancers, where you're just like, what happened to you? What just did they do to you?
0: Threes across the board.
1: <laughs> yeah. Let's keep going on our hero hammer ones here.
0: Well, maybe it's good to talk a little bit about a few minor differences that, well, uh, some of them are not so minor, a few of the differences between 4th and 5th edition.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Um,
0: because we, we already mentioned that in 4th edition, everybody could cast spells in every turn. And in 5th edition, it was only the player whose turn it was who, got, who could cast spells. But what they did not have in 4th edition and what they did do in 5th edition was that you could actually boost your spells. So, if you cast a spell in uh, 4th edition, it was just you put down the power cards and the other player puts down the dispel card. And then you would see uh, which one of you has the highest magic level. And if the magic level was equal, you could dispel on a 4-up. If the magic level of the caster was higher, the dispeller would need a 5+. And if the magic level of the dispeller was higher, you would need a 3+. plus. Now, what they did in fifth edition, uh, they said we we still do this. We still have this basic mechanic of uh, the same the power cards, and then just uh, oh, sorry, cast a spell, put down a dispel card, and uh, roll that uh, three or four or five depending on the wizard level. But now spells can be boosted, and dispels can be boosted as well. So how this would work is uh, as a caster, you would put down your cards. For example, you cast a power two spell, so you put down two power cards on the table. Then the Dispeller would put down a Dispel card and he would say, well, let's see, you're casting with a level 4 wizard, I've got a level uh, uh, level 2, I need a 5 up to Dispel, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put down 2 of my own Power Cards, because, well, I cannot use Power Cards in my turn anyway, So or in your turn, so I'm going to boost my Dispel. Meaning that I now no longer need a 5+, plus, but the 2 power cards make it 2 better, so I get a 3+, plus to dispel. And then the caster could say, well if you're boosting your dispel, then I'm going to boost my spell. So he could put down more of his own power cards to bring that number back up again. And uh, that was it, you couldn't go back and forth all the time, it was just uh, the, the caster uh, cast his spell, the dispeller places dispel decides whether to boost or not and then the caster could have one more attempt at boosting and then you would roll the die and the six is an automatic dispel and a one is an automatic fail no matter how many power cards you, uh, you have on the table. Uh, so that would make it a little bit more interesting, a little bit more tactical and another thing that they changed is that in fifth edition you could retain cards in your hand. In uh, fourth edition, you only had certain cards that you could retain; it would say so on the card. But in fifth edition, you would have—you uh, could have one card per wizard you could keep in your hand and play the next turn. So that's how I could, going back to the uh, Undead vs Bretonians, that's how I could sit on that escape for the entire game because I could just keep it in my hand, turn after turn, hmm. until it was needed. Uh, although I believe that in 4th edition, the Escape is one of those cards that has the uh, Retain in Hand box on it. So yeah, those are the, I think, the most of the major differences between the two editions as to uh, spellcasting. There's one other big thing, which is that they decided in 5th edition to uh, no longer support the Colleges of Magic. Well, they have them in the back of the book, but they don't have cards for that. And instead you get a set of battle magic cards. And those battle magic cards, they are mm, a little bit lame, I think.
1: Most of my problem is they're just, they're so diluted because it's such a huge deck. That your chances of getting anything that's even like decent is not nearly as high as if you're playing with one of the, the 10 card decks. Yeah. Uh Yeah, The I do wish they had stuck with the colleges. It just makes things a lot more interesting and i'm glad they went back to that in later editions where you had the the eight winds of magic worth of uh battle magic that it, most races had you or got to use I, i'm glad you mentioned the whole way that the dispel system worked for that it's another one of those features that speaks to this magical duel with you both boosting and, and counter boosting your spell and your dispel and for me anyway this one can be a bit of a trap as well because it's it less so if you're uh the player d- who's trying to dispel but if you're casting spells man those power cards go fast and thinking about boosting a spell oh it's it's tough sometimes because you, if you've got a couple of of spell casters with a, a couple of spells you want to get off you generally have almost no spare power cards unless you're really no. lucky.
0: Uh, but I, it's just basically, uh, do you want to put all your eggs in one basket?
1: Mm-hmm. But I do like it for the interaction, right—the the game within a game element that, yeah, that the the era had—that is is really really nice. There's a lot of little changes and and things as you would expect between editions, but I think those are the 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 big ones as far as that goes. Retaining cards, yeah, that's a that's a big one, and the fact that you can retain just one card per wizard of of any maker model is really really nice uh especially if you get that total power you're just like oh i'm gonna gonna keep that till we really need it and uh and then bring that out when when your opponent least expects it or just to keep it out of the deck so your opponent doesn't yeah. get it <laughs> i have done that before when i've had no worthwhile spells to cast i'll just i'm gonna keep this you can't have it i don't want you <laughs> to have it I think it was, it was interesting as well, before we, we move on to any of the later eras, is uh, the idea of a miscast really isn't a thing yet, which is kind of no, neat, no, because it, it becomes a, a fairly central part of the magic phase going forward. And I gotta say, I'm not, I don't necessarily miss it, because I think the cards, some of the, the I, I usually call them like the advanced dispel cards, but the... this cards that had this dispels the the spell and then has this effect as well. Kind of gave you the sense of a miscast in particular uh, so that you could still lose spells, you you could still get into trouble, but you didn't have a specific miscast table. What are your thoughts on that? Do you like... Uh, how do you prefer your uh, your miscasts?
0: Well, there's something to say for both of them. Uh, you see, on one side you're saying... Um... Well, these are professional wizards. They know what they're doing. And, uh, while well, the winds of magic are, of course, fickle. But that's covered in the 2d6 you need to roll before dealing out cards. Uh, on the other hand, yeah, magic is, of course, dangerous. And uh, even an experienced wizard in the heat of battle can make mistakes. So I have had some trouble in the past with miscast. It has also worked for me uh, a couple of times when... Uh, a uh, vampire I was fighting against um, blew herself up on a miscast on the first turn, and Ooh. then the army just crumbled, and my Empire forces stood there without <laughs> losing a single model and oh, just no. uh, blasting everything to bits. So, yeah, it was. Um, uh, it, it can really go both ways. And, well, as far as miscasts are concerned, the later. Additions where you can, uh, the more dice you roll, the higher the chances of a miscast. I do like that mechanic. Mm. And it it fits with the later editions where magic is nerfed and characters are nerfed. And it fits with hero hammer that you don't have a miscast. And that if something goes wrong and if you lose a spell, it's not because you did something wrong. But it, because you're up against a very powerful opponent who noticed what you were doing and said the right magical words at the right time so your brain got fried a little
1: bit. Mm, I like that description a lot. That really appeals to me. Again, it's that duel between wizards. I really, really like it. Uh, I do have to take a little bit of issue with uh, how how you open this statement up, though. As a guy who plays orcs and goblins a lot, the idea of professional <laughs> wizards—oh no, no, sir! These are <laughs> these my wizards are not professional wizards. No, you're yeah. right.
0: I, I'm I'm thinking about uh, about about the college, uh, yeah. The the, the, the the trained wizards. No, my my orc wizards are definitely not professional. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, the ones they are
1: very yeah. adept at miscasting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're talking about the wizards whose heads don't explode on the regular. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: By the way, the orcs had a, a sort of misclass table uh, they did, yeah. back in the day, so I didn't include it in the table. But uh, for orcs, um, depending on how many uh, mobs of orcs and goblins that were within proximity, that would both determine uh, whether you could cast and with how much power. Um, and it would also determine, um, depending on your wizard level, how badly things could go wrong. And then you had to roll a d6 and compare the results. And uh, the worst thing that happens is that the Shaman's Head explodes. And the best thing that happens is that uh, you discard one Wind of Magic card of your choice. It's not a spell, just a Wind of Magic card.
1: But Yeah. It's still... Uh... I have to say, I hate the Orc and Goblin magic system in fourth and fifth. <laughs> it's just mean for no reason. Like it's not even, it's not one of the most powerful spell decks and not being able to cast if you're away from any mobs is like in the later parts of the game, when everything's dying, it can actually really get you. It's, yes. it's a tough one. Yeah, the Edbangers chart is our uh, our sweet little miscast. That's it, yeah. Uh, I won't read them out, but I will read the various, uh, like, flavor text for each of them. So number six is Yargh. Uh Number five is Fizzap. Uh, number four is Me Ederts. For three, I I've forgot. Two, I think I'm gonna. And one is Edbang. So, yeah, you can kind of tell from them uh, what they do. Uh, most of them it is like vomiting out magic in some way shape or form or losing spells or yeah if the uh uh is sometimes his head just explodes so it's a fun time it's yeah. I mean, it's well, not but, good but it's fun well uh, with,
0: with the way orc magic works and the whole animosity uh i feel orcs really uh didn't get the love that they deserve i no. mean they're a fun army and they're very thematic but they are not this unstoppable fighting <laughs> force that no. they uh, could be, and maybe even
1: should be. Yeah, I what I wouldn't give for a fifth edition orc and goblin book. Like if they had gotten updated. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, like if they like the high elves did, right? Like that boost that the high elves got between fourth and fifth. Oh, I would have loved that for my for my poor orcs. <laughs> but you know what? Like they're they're not great, but. You can have a lot of fun with them. They can win. They're just, they're not easy to to use a lot of the time. And um, I guess orcs are always like that though, really. Like, I don't think they're ever top tier in any of the editions. but they, no. you always have a good time with them, right? Like there's some, some eras where they're stronger than others, but I can't remember a time in Warhammer fantasy where it was just like, oh boy, orcs like better be worried. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and and whether
1: you're playing with them
0: or against them, uh, you're guaranteed to have a good time.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. As if I'm if I'm meeting someone new uh, that I've never played for a game before, I'll bring my orcs more frequently than I'll bring other things because yeah, like you're just, you know, if you you want your opponent to have a good time because you're just meeting them for the first time, and you want to have a good time too. So even if your opponent isn't great, you can make your own fun with orcs and goblins. Yes. Yeah. All right. Shall we uh, hit on start hitting on our later editions? Yep. Yeah. So let's start with uh, with six editions. So uh, everything changes and oh boy oh boy does it ever. This is where we go to I guess what I should call the more familiar dice based system since it, uh, it stuck around from six that onward and was really just tweaked from from this point forward. But yeah. So this is this is a really interesting one. So order of the magic phase isn't super dissimilar but uh you generate your winds of magic and this time uh your winds of magic this is i guess the one of the least random that we're gonna see here because your winds of magic is two plus one per wizard level that you have on your side of the table so if i had a level two and a level one then i'm getting five dice because i'm getting the two plus the three and yeah, that, that is for power dice and for and this power, power dice yeah.
0: it's uh one dice for a level 1 or 2 and one die for uh, two dice for a level 3 or 4 wizard
1: yeah so whoever is casting magic is going to have a little bit of an advantage if they have you know if you if you all things being equal i should say they should have a little bit of an advantage in terms of raw dice to throw
0: yeah but i need them uh, but you need be- them yeah <laughs> you, the other uh, you need to throw dice to cast a spell well maybe i'm 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 uh, moving too far ahead here but you need to toss those dice to cast your spell and there's a chance that your dice come up low and you don't uh, meet the casting value of the spell and if you don't meet the casting value the spell is not cast and so the opponent doesn't have to dispel it
1: Mm -hmm. and yeah so there's there's ways of course yeah that like you say if you fail to get your casting rate off or you're casting off that first cast, then you've wasted dice, and then your opponent might have the advantage for the uh, the secondary or tertiary rolls. So after you've cast a spell, your opponent gets a chance to dispel. And again, these are rolling D6s and comparing. And uh, yeah, then you just repeat from there and cast your next spell. It's a very simple system. Uh, gone are the lovely little cards that we had and, and the decks and everything like that. But it is a much more streamlined process, like a lot of things in 6th, very streamlined. This this might be my favorite for non-Hero Hammer games. And I mean, like, when I play Hero Hammer, I'm looking for the Hero Hammer experience. Yeah. But when I'm playing, like, regular games of Warhammer, right? I, I guess what I'm saying, like, if I'm just if I'm just playing anywhere, I think this is my favorite Warhammer fantasy magic system. And then like fifth edition is its own kind of thing for me. But uh, yeah, this is this one's pretty simple. Every, even like, for example, the maximum number of dice that you could use to cast a spell was just one plus your wizard level. So if you're a level one wizard, the most you're rolling is two dice. And it meant that some spells might just be kind of beyond you and i like that in contrast to how it could work in hero hammer where you might have a level 1 wizard they might draw a 3 power spell and it doesn't really matter because your, your wizard level doesn't other than the number of spells they get doesn't affect the way they cast spells well, it, it does
0: affect the, the dispel
1: value. So, Sorry, uh, yes, yeah.
0: It's easier to dispel if it's a level one wizard casting.
1: That's, that's a other good than point. That, yeah,
0: you, you can have a, uh, a a tiny little wizard with a very big spell, and mm. you cannot do that in 6th edition.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I, I do like that from a thematic standpoint. I think it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, what are what are your thoughts on on the uh the way that 6th edition changed it up and uh how how do you find your games going with that? Like I always find that 6th edition if I'm not going to be afraid of the magic phase, it's going to be in 6th edition because it really toned down magic quite a bit and it went to more of kind of this supporting your army, uh which I actually do prefer than just like throwing uh giant purple suns everywhere. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. how how do you find it?
0: well i, I th- uh, was uh, i started with sixth edition so um for me this is uh this is the way it should be uh, so <laughs> to say so yeah it, it's uh this is for me the norm to which i hold all the other editions and not looking at hero hammer it is uh not the one i am least scared of i think seventh is the one i'm least scared of just because in sixth edition uh, any wizard could use any power dice. And in 7th edition, uh, the wizard could only use the power dice he generated himself. Plus any power dice that were uh, army generated. So, for example, the two standard dice that you get. Uh, or maybe some dice that were generated by items. Right. So, That's a um, good point. That's a really good point. That, that nerfed magic even more. uh Meaning that if you have a level 2 wizard who can cast 2 spells, that you only have 2 dice per spell that you can use, or 3 and 1. And that's it, instead of uh, 3 and 3 if you have multiple wizards in 6th edition. Yeah, what do I think of this? Uh, it, it's, it is very predictable, there's no dice rolling involved to generate power or dispel dice. It's just the number of wizards you have on the table determines how strong your magic face is, and that is something that you can plan for. Whereas in uh, fourth, fifth and eighth edition, you have to roll for the winds of magic. And that does in- introduce a bit of randomness so that even a wizard heavy army is not always guaranteed to cast uh, all the spells that they can cast. So in sixth edition, it's you're more able to plan for what you want to do. Even though you're still generating your spells at random, but yeah, other than that, it's uh, it's it's more stable. I think. yeah,
1: I was just thinking of calm. I was like, this is a very calm magic phase that that they've set up here, and yeah, you're you you're right. It's it's stable. It's you can plan for it, and that is a little bit of a a change. And now that we talk about it. You know, I I was just saying how much I liked that level one wizards couldn't really cast those big spells or or certainly couldn't cast them without a lot of luck. But I do really enjoy, as far as the lore goes, the idea of the winds of magic and the winds of magic blowing over the world. And sometimes they blow stronger and sometimes they blow weaker. And it, you know, the, the magically attuned can feel it and they can tap into that when it's happening. There's no sense of that here. And I think that really kind of loses you something. And it didn't really bother me until just now. (laughs) And now I'm just like, ah, I don't know. Because I do love that part of the lore a lot. Maybe in, in fourth and fifth edition, you know, you had so many random aspects between randomly drawing your spells and then you had the 2d6 for the cards. And then, of course, what cards you're dealt, what spells you're dealt. And maybe this is kind of too far in the opposite direction.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's, it's maybe a little bit too tame, a little bit too too stable, and uh, I am glad that they brought back the role for the Winds of Magic in 8th edition, uh, even though I, I think I prefer 6th edition over 8th, but that's just maybe also because that's the edition I grew up with, and I'm still not used to some of the rules that there are in 8th edition, and I keep forgetting them and I keep planning for them and uh, keep getting charged where I uh, thought I was
1: out of charge range because of <laughs> that. Uh... Oh God. Yeah. 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 Here's here's the interesting thing. And I, I feel like the, the way magic goes might be kind of the way the game goes in, in certain respects. So fourth and fifth edition hero hammer era, things are wild. Things are crazy. Things are a little fun. And you kind of expect that wildness to it, right? There's a lot that's random. There's these insane heroes that can do all sorts of silly stuff. But then there's also crazy counter items like the Black Gem of Gnar that can just shut them down. The, the whole thing is is a little cartoonish and wacky and crazy. And then 6th and 7th were kind of the taming of that, where Games Workshop said, Hey, let's settle this down a little bit and, and let's make things a little bit calmer and, and a little bit more reliable and you can you can plan a little bit more and there's not these these wild swings of things and i feel like eighth edition was games workshop maybe being like oh we kind of missed the the wackiness the craziness of it of, of those older eras but we're gonna do it within the framework of this post sixth edition warhammer fantasy yeah. so you ended up with the this this wild and and uh crazy magic phase that that appeared again seemingly out of nowhere like you say 7th edition might be the the most limited that magic was and then 8th edition was the least limited since the hero hammer era and in in some ways maybe even a little bit crazier but it is such a, a an interesting like almost lull in in how the magic phase worked in in 6th and 7th and I do feel like it. It almost mirrors the idea of what Games Workshop wanted for the game itself, in that they they toned it down. They made it a little bit darker, a little bit grittier, and the, your you know your heroes weren't gonna carry the whole load for you anymore. And and this shows it uh, in this way. But I I just never really thought of it in terms of the magic phase kind of explaining additions before but it, it just hit me there so i wanted yeah. to <laughs> wanted to share that a little bit yeah, that, that's a, yeah that's a
0: very good point it does reflect that very nicely and uh, towards the end they went even crazier right well there's the storm of magic supplement and eighth edition, yes and I yeah haven't really looked into that myself yet so i can't say anything intelligent about that no, I, I I did play once with the end times rules and uh, you have in the uh, end times cane book you have uh, instead of rolling 2d6 for magic you roll 46 for the wind of magic and all casters know all spells of their lore and uh, there's no maximum number of dice that you use to, well you have to roll each turn uh, for, before each spell to see how many dice you can use to cast a spell but other than that it's Magic became a lot more powerful uh, during that very brief End Times era, if you played with those rules from the
1: third End Times book. Yeah, that... Kane was an eye-opener for, for the End Times. Yeah. And it, I'm going to share, and this is a little embarrassing because, I, I guess, maybe maybe not embarrassing, maybe just the fact that I am the eternal optimist. Uh, I'm usually in a pretty good mood and I'm, I'm usually pretty good at, at, you know, seeing the, the positives and things. And honestly, and it was called The End Times, like the the whole event was The End Times. And I I read uh, Nagash and after Nagash came out, I was like, oh, man, like, this is so cool. Like, they're, you know, they're they're doing some moving the plot forward. Like, we're getting this this crazy stuff. It's all this is going to be so neat. And then Glotkin was kind of the same way. And like, okay yeah. So there was some some absolutely nuts stuff happening in these books. But I didn't get a sense that the world was ending until Cain. That just—that's when I was just like, "Oh, hold on, wait, what? Althwan, what? <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> it's sunk? Like, it's one thing if if you know, like, Marienburg gets destroyed, right? Like, that's a city. Cities can be rebuilt. It's not a not a problem. And well, it is a problem because I mean, Marienburg <laughs> is built on the Netherlands. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and but. It just didn't have that sense of finality for me until Kane. And then I was just like, oh, no, like, is this is this actually the end times? And it sounds so dumb now, right? Like, well, of course, dummy, like they called it the end times. But I just, you know, Warhammer was a staple. It had been around for close to 30 years and I just didn't see it come like they told me they were going to do it and i still was just like nah they're not going to do it right like uh and then kane i was just like oh no oh no and i didn't read archaeon for a lot long time (laughs) long time i didn't read archaeon because i I looked at the spoilers i was like they blew it up those damn dirty apes they you know like they (laughs) blew it up (laughs) it was earth all along and yeah, that was uh, just uh, just wild, but yeah, Kane. Kane is where end times for me started going. Like it, 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 started off by jumping a few sharks, but then Kane. It by Kane. It was just like this is absolutely, absolutely wild. Um, but yeah, that Kane is probably when when magic got just yeah. at its its absolute zenith of of power. Um, well, I I can raise you one uh, okay. because I,
0: um, as a Tomb Kings player back then, I, back then I only played Orcs and Tomb Kings and I had some Dwarves and, and maybe some other stuff, some Dogs of War. So, as a uh, Tomb Kings player, I bought the Nagash book because it combined, uh, it contained Tomb Kings units and rules. And and I never even uh, read it. I just bought it and I thought, oh, my, this would be nice to use maybe someday. And I was in college back then, I didn't have many, uh, much time to play Warhammer, I, I haven't played, uh, hadn't played a battle for a long time. Uh, I just kept buying the occasional thing and then all of a sudden uh, I still did have my uh, White Dwarf subscription, or uh, Warhammer Visions it was called back then, and I got the uh, White Dwarf weeklies I had a guy at the store, put them aside for me. And then, all of a sudden, uh, it was like, yeah, we have Age of Sigmar. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah, (laughs) Warhammer is dead. Wait, what? So, I I did not know until after the fact that uh, the world was
1: actually ending with the end times.
0: That's wild. Speaking of naive...
1: <laughs> okay, well that make that does make me feel a little bit better in my uh in my eternal optimism just like end times no no they don't mean it. <laughs> it's fine.
0: I consider uh, it my birthday present yeah. then. <laughs> <it>. Jeez. <laughs>
1: yeah, happy birthday. We killed this thing you love. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no 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 making you feel better. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh
1: let's uh let's talk about the miscast table a little bit, because this is this is new to sixth edition when we get here. Yes. And this was a really interesting mechanic and maybe one that was a little backwards, in my opinion, because I guess maybe maybe not so much backwards. But I I felt like in 6th edition, it could have been toned down a little bit more because in 6th edition, magic was toned down and you were throwing less dice to cast. And I just I felt like it was maybe a bit of an unnecessary punishment and I guess the way that you the way that you miscast changed as well between sixth, the seventh, and eighth, and it's it's double one, in yes sixth edition, which meant that you already failed probably casting the spell. <laughs> it's just it's and, an and extra e- punishment. E- even if you uh,
0: even if you haven't failed casting the spell, a double 1 will mean that you failed would, would be, it.
1: yeah exactly. So not only yeah not only does it nullify your spell, which you know you you snake eyes on. Uh, but congratulations, now something awful is going to happen to you. And I just I feel like I'm, I'm much more fond of having miscasts do terrible things to you in an edition like eighth edition where, you know, it's 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 like gambling, right? Like you, you bet big. And sometimes that pays off, and sometimes it doesn't, kind of thing. And I, I like that a little bit better than in 6th edition, where it was just like, I'm just going to cast this nice friendly spell, and oh no, I exploded. <laughs> like,
0: um, Yeah, well, game-wise, I agree, but yeah. I, um, lore-wise, I would have to disagree with you, because... Well, if you fumble a spell, then uh, there is a very real possibility, well, uh, maybe real is not the right word when talking about magic in a fantasy world, but (laughs) um, let's use it anyway. There's a very real possibility that uh, something has gone wrong, that all this magic you've been drawing from the air, it needs to go somewhere, right? So it could result in an explosion or in uh, frying your brain, causing you to forget a spell, or maybe in... In the best case scenario, casting the spell with irresistible force so it cannot be dispelled, but then being able to uh, forgetting the spell or or maybe um, losing your powers as a wizard or something like that. So I think fluff wise, it fits better to have a miscast on a double one. Than to add it to uh, a irresistible force result on a double six
1: you know what i will concede that i think yeah you're right on and it, it does give that more i don't want to call it like a role playing element but but yeah like you say it's it's very lore friendly like you you mispronounced a syllable and now bad things are happening Absolutely. I yeah. My only argument is I think from a gameplay perspective, yeah. it was kind of a kick you while you were down mechanic.
0: No, from a gameplay perspective, um, I completely agree with yeah. you. And that's something you you just said that I hadn't realized before. But as tame as Magic was in sixth and seventh edition, as bad that miscast table was, mm. because even though you're you probably could only get off maybe one or two support spells in a phase if you were lucky if you roll a miscast your wizard would uh, have a very real possibility of dying or not being able to cast any more spells
1: yeah yeah it's it's an it's nasty it's it's not a not a happy chart one way or another let's just quickly mention the the things that could happen to you on a on a miscast all right so starting at 12 if you miscast uh, the spell is cast with irresistible force, but the wizard cannot cast any more spells and doesn't generate power or dispel dice. Was that for the whole game? I believe, believe so. so. Yeah. Oh, man, that's that's so rough. Like even like rolling double sixes. Oh. Uh, so eleven caster's magic level is minus one and loses uh, loses the miscast spell again. Absolutely brutal. Number ten caster suffers one wound with no saves allowed. With wizards, you were looking at three wounds if you're lucky. So, yeah, could could be terrible. Eight and nine. Or sorry, nine and ten was the caster suffers one wound.
0: No, 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 you're right. Uh, Ten is the caster suffers one wound, and eight and nine is uh, the magic phase. Oh, eight and nine is the
1: magic phase. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, I read that the opposite way. Uh, So, eight and nine magic phase ends. Six and seven, the caster cannot cast more spells that one was just for the phase though eh yes that's yeah. just in
0: this magic phase
1: yeah but again depending on when you do it uh could shut down your whole magic phase number five a caster cannot shoot or fight is hit automatically and cannot cast this turn and next that's brutal that's two turns of a six turn game uh, pretty important uh, when yeah. it's a third of the game, right? Uh, and then,
0: and then then they have the goal and the rule book to uh to add a final sentence that says, "But he is otherwise unaffected."
1: Oh yeah, just no, it's <laughs> yeah, just a third of his value out the window. But no, otherwise he's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number four, your opponent may automatically cast a spell of the same casting difficulty or less, no roll needed, and you can use your power dice to dispel it. But that's just mean. I mean, you're already down... You already failed to cast a spell. Now your opponent gets to cast a spell. And you might have to waste what remaining power dice you have trying to dispel their free spell. Pretty brutal. Number three, cast a, caster blasted D6 in a random direction and cannot cast spells until he rolls a 6 at the start of the magic phase. So for me, just never. And, Probably, uh, yeah. <laughs> if he hits a model, both take a strength 10 hit. Uh, so it could easily kill your wizard as well. And then finally on a two, the wizard and models in base contact suffer a strength 10 hit. What a brutal brutal miscast table. The only thing it's missing, I think, is the automatic like wizard dies is taken into the yes. realm of chaos and torn apart kind of thing. That's that's a better yeah, they it. They,
0: uh, they only added that in uh 7th edition mm. and then 8th. So yeah.
1: Yeah. I like the miscast table for drama. 100% because when you or your opponent always has to roll on the miscast table that's always a moment where like everything goes a little bit quiet and then you roll the dice and no one knows the miscast table well enough and then you're both everybody has enough. to look it up yeah
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh oh, that's a seven well I think that's not too bad yeah, yeah. but <laughs> so you're
1: just like, oh, I think that one's not too bad and you're just like oh no I'm just gonna remove my wizard right now <laughs> yeah yeah it's good stuff yeah, so sixth edition, it's it's a fun one. I I like it. It's it's the calmest of the magic phases. It's got some good, some bad things, like all magic phases do. And then it gets built on in our later editions. Uh, would you like to? Mention anything else for sixth, or do you think we've covered that one pretty well?
0: No, I think I think we've covered it, and and maybe we can also um, mention seventh edition in the same breath because yeah, it there's... is pretty similar to sixth edition, except for the difference. I noted earlier that um, the wizard can only use the the dice that he himself
1: generates. Mm-hmm. That's a it's a big it's a big effect on your wizards especially your lower level wizards like you mentioned that might only have a couple of dice to try and cast with and yeah otherwise i'm i'm just scrolling through here and just like wow yeah, this it's, it's, is pretty much pretty only much only the miscast the table is uh, yeah different. yeah the the wiz uh, the wizcast <laughs> wiz tables <laughs> oh good times uh the miscast table is a little different yeah, they they really rejigged it. It's actually probably the most different of the the things in 7th edition here. Yes. Let's go through it really quickly here and we'll we'll just uh, just as a uh as a contrast to 6th edition. Uh so 12 is very similar to the uh um Yeah, it's, sort of it's thing, um... but it just doesn't allow you you don't you still generate dice. So in yeah, in 6th but, edition uh... you stop generating dice in this one you don't, right?
0: That only matters for the dispel dice because uh, only the power dice generated by the wizard can be used by that wizard. So Of
1: course, that's why they took it out. Yeah. Uh, it's, so it's still th- th- just this Dispel bad. dice go into
0: the communal pool, so you can still have that extra okay. one or two dispel dice. But other than that, it's mm-hmm. exactly the same as in 6th edition. Uh, spell is cast with irresistible force, and that's it for that wizard.
1: Nice. All right, 10 and 11. Uh, Caster takes a strength hit-hit Eight hit with no armor saves allowed and loses a wizard level. Uh, And lost spell must be the one that you miscast. So pretty nasty there. Uh, Eight and nine caster takes a strength four hit. All uh, Uh, remains in play. Oh, remains Uh, in play spells. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Are dispelled and the magic phase ends.
0: Yeah, similar to eighth edition uh, to sixth edition, the same result except for the uh, additional strength four hit. Which for a uh, regular toughness three unarmed, unarmored wizard, is That's... not something that you uh, yeah it might would be like. enough right yeah yeah,
1: uh so seven Seven's an interesting one. Uh, caster takes a strength two hit, loses power dice, and cannot do anything else in this magic phase. At least with a can't uh, strength two hit, you've got a bit of a chance of knocking that out on toughness on a five or a six the opponent may automatically cast a spell no roll needed can be dispelled with power dice so this is kind of the four of of sixth, sixth edition, edition. Yeah. but now you've got two chances to get that and uh three and four uh, the wizard and models in base contact take a strength six hit no armor saves allowed so just a nasty slap to the face and on a roll two your wizard dies he's just dead get him out of here. And hit Models in Base Contact suffers a strength 10 hit.
0: Yeah, so, so what, uh, when I, I read these two next to each other, in 6th edition a lot of the things that happen affect the wizard, but not a lot of them harm him. Whereas in 7th edition, uh, you get, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, eighth, eighth of the uh, what is it, 11 results, cause you to take a hit of uh, either strength 2, 4, 6, 8, or 10. So there's a lot more damage to your wizard mm. if he miscasts in 7th edition.
1: Yeah. I wasn't prepared for 7th edition to be kind of the nadir of wizards in Warhammer Fantasy because I'm so used to and I it's again, I just... I feel like someone listening to this podcast... Their favorite edition is seventh edition. And I feel like such a jerk because I'm always glossing over stuff in seventh edition because it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well, it's sixth, but generally less interesting. Uh, sometimes you get a, a special character that makes a reappearance in, in seventh edition or something like that. But for the most part, like the big changes are sixth and eighth, and I, I usually jump over seventh. Yeah. And,
0: oh, well, but that's the same with, with Hero Hammer, right? Because it fourth is, and yeah. fifth are basically the same. And, yeah, and I do. Sixth a... and seventh. Uh, I, I agree, and it, it probably deserves some love. And there are definitely some good aspects about Seventh Edition, uh which I will
1: mention when I think of them. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, the the worst part is is I'm about to do it again because I, I do want to get to Eighth Edition. It's because Eighth Edition there's a lot more to to talk about here, and I don't want to go too long. So I I think yeah, I think we're we're ready to go. It does seem like the real the real dip as far as the magic phase goes in terms of what your wizards could do and how mean the magic phase could be to your wizards like it, it seems like yeah. this was this was the absolute rock bottom that wizards hit in 7th edition and then they uh, boy did they bounce though because in 8th edition the order of the magic phase doesn't really change but almost everything else does so we're back to a randomized winds of magic Where you get 2d6 plus a channel. And channeling for each of your wizards, you could roll a d6. On the roll of a 6, they would generate an additional power dice. There was a rod of channeling that could get you that on a 5. That was a pretty popular item. And yeah, so we're back to the random number. And for dispel dice, you got the highest of the 2d6 roll. Which I actually kind of liked a lot. I thought that was a good way to do it because... It always meant that you you kept that advantage for the caster, uh, in terms of raw random dice. But you had the opportunity to either, like, if you rolled a seven with a six and a one, you had one more dice, or you could yes. roll boxcars and then you were laughing, right? So it was uh, it was a neat way to do that, and I, I kind of like that amongst all of the randomness. I think that was one of my favorite ones there's a lot that that changes here so we didn't mention i don't think max number of dice to cast in seventh edition or yes we did because we it's when the wizard can only use his his dice uh we go back to our our big pool that everyone gets to swim in and, and take from and you can cast with up to six dice and this is a a feature a design feature because some spells could be boosted to a higher casting level and some of those higher casting levels were in the 20s. They were quite high.
0: Yeah, 25 uh, or something uh, even.
1: Yeah, yeah, which was pretty incredible. And then you get into casting value. And this was something new as well. And this is something that I don't I don't hate on principle. I actually like it on principle, but I had a bit of an issue with the way that it was done here. It was the sum of the dice that you rolled. Plus your wizard level. And I found that sometimes it just made the rich get richer as yes. far as eighth edition went. So if you had if you had a magical advantage sometimes with a, a level four or god forbid a level five or something, and you could really bully uh something somebody, somebody with with some of those lower level spells where you could cast them so easily with so few dice and a lot of times it made so that your magical advantage if you had one was felt so much greater than it did is is that a sense that you got because I, I don't want to speak for everyone here but that was the sense that I got
0: no I, I completely agree uh, if you have a level 4 wizard um, why well, you still need a minimum roll of 3 to cast so uh, you're going to use you, you can one dice most of the uh, spells up to a uh, power level of uh, six or seven pretty comfortably. And if you roll a, a one or a two, then you fail. But well, you have a level four wizard that was only one die. Um,
1: yeah, you you yeah. might have you know ten more dice after that, right? Yeah,
0: so. uh, but you do need more wizards because once you have failed casting a spell, your concentration is broken. I believe in Eighth Edition, and you cannot cast any more spells in that.
1: Yeah, and that magic was a phase. that was a decent stopgap. I I liked yeah. that as a as a bit of a limiting factor. So instead of just one dicing like six spells (laughs) and just being like oh you know you don't really care if they they go off or not just to to burn dispel dice and that kind of thing you had to be a little bit more careful with what you were doing
0: so so even for those lower spells you you did want to avoid throwing that one or two so you'll probably throw at least two dice at them but uh yeah you still get your plus four and maybe your opponent only has a level two wizard and then um, that that's those two points of difference. That's uh, an extra dispel die that he needs just to match your number.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What I would have liked, I think, a little bit better, would have been maybe a reworking of this system where the you don't necessarily get a bonus to cast. And take that into account when you're designing spells as well. So, you know, you'd have to probably knock them down a a couple of uh, of difficulties. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But instead of doing that, give it it a spin or a little bit of the uh, Hero Hammer feel and make it so that when you are... Say if I have a fourth level wizard and I'm casting, I still roll my dice as usual, but then when you go to dispel if you choose to dispel it you choose a wizard to dispel and then if if your wizard is a lower level there is a greater difficulty maybe instead of equal to or beating the roll, you have to beat the roll by one or two and just make it so that your advantage of having that more powerful wizard isn't necessarily just my numbers are bigger all the time but you have to your lower level wizard is going to have a heck of a time trying to dispel this spell i I, that's a good nuance i I would maybe we should should suggest it's maybe yeah uh, maybe we'll Uh, we'll try it out sometime yeah yeah i i like it and it's only speaks to uh, an issue that i have with eighth edition that so much of the game came down to just rolling buckets of dice yeah, and I I like one of the reasons six is my favorite of the later editions is because it involved the least dice rolling. Like to to fight uh, like my chaos knights versus some elven spearmen, you know it shouldn't the elves shouldn't need fifty dice and the the chaos you know knights shouldn't need like however many attacks they had in eighth, eighth edition, but um, but it's like that kind of thing, right? Like I I just yeah. Yeah, I, I would rather roll fewer dice to determine the same things if, if I can. Um, but it, that's just a pet peeve of mine. I know some people love doing the buckets of dice. And I mean, look at Warhammer 40,000. They've just leaned right into that. And it's that's the, the the game that makes all the money. So what do I know?
0: <laughs> There's one thing that uh, that this reminds me of. is one of those little things written in the 6th edition rulebook about unit sizes. And it says something, well, uh, of course, uh, units on an actual battlefield would not be just 10 guys. Uh, it would maybe be hundreds of guys. But they say if uh, 10 elves can beat 20 goblins, then 100 elves can beat 200 goblins. Yeah. So if you're both rolling bucks of dice, then you could both probably tune it down a little bit and still have a fun game, which is what it was, 6th edition.
1: Mm-hmm. I always like I remember that exact quote actually and it always stuck with me I was just like oh yeah like this this makes a lot of sense and and at this scale and, and one of the things I think the the cleverest thing Games Workshop ever did was teach us to play like company level battle games with skirmish scale models <laughs> because that's how they made all their money. Right? Like yeah. Warhammer and 40K should be like 10 millimeter. Cause you you would have a better representation of the actual battles that yeah. go along. Or like six millimeter for, like they like 40k should be epic, but then they they taught us with things like apocalypse just be like, no, no, have hundreds of these these models and get a table that's the size of your entire kitchen. And uh it was <laughs> man, it diabolical. Diabolical stuff. And I can't say that I didn't buy it. Like I've got thousands of miniatures and Oh boy, it would have been a lot cheaper if they were all tiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely uh, agree. Uh, but I, I, have, I have gone off the deep end here. Well, let's let's get back. What are what were we? We were just talking about dispelling. Yeah, so, about
0: uh, how you how you add the yeah, wizard's yeah. level to your potion casting and your, and your dispel. dispel value. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I mean it's fine. It's not all that different from casting in sixth and seventh, except your. The the more powerful your wizard is, the better they are at both of those tasks, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, one big difference between um, sixth and seventh edition, on the one hand, and eighth edition, on the other hand, is that the uh, double one is no longer a miscast, uh, but the miscast is included in any roll of two or more sixes, with uh, which causes the spell to be cast with irresistible force and then after the spell has been cast, you roll on the miscast table. Mm-hmm. So that's another big difference. So. That is that is
1: a huge difference. And with the amount of dice you throw, sometimes, especially if you're looking to get a big spell off, sometimes it feels like those miscasts are more likely than not, even. And I, I this leads me, and sorry, this is turning into uh, Old Man Complains About, Eighth edition, but my my only other problem that I'm going to mention, and I promise, is that the miscast table in this edition, I it doesn't feel as nasty. And so much uh, like there was strategies in eighth edition around, well, I'll just get the miscast because it'll still be worth it with all the damage and, and carnage. I'm going to rot with this spell, right? Like yeah. you're you don't even care. Uh, with with certain things and, and especially are... in
0: uh, end game uh, situation,
1: yeah, yeah. And I I always kind of hated that. I was just like, no, 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 like you should be terrified of miscasts. And but and, the... and
0: there are some pretty scary results there on the definitely are. table. So and I, yeah. I
1: so, and I shouldn't and I, I I'm gonna backtrack here because I shouldn't say that the miscast table is nicer or more friendly or anything like that. It's still mean, but it's the benefits you got from those killer spells. That outweighed yeah, it, it right? Like we, it just yeah. the it threw the balance off because you could you could delete entire units and oh my poor temple guard. Why was it that every single giant spell in Eighth Edition was just like test on initiative? And I was like, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> I can't. Probably
0: because mm. Lizardmen were the best army in uh, Hero Hammer, so <laughs> still still pay it, it, it. It, it took him twenty years yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to to. Keep toning them down uh, back yeah. at a bag of time.
1: You know what? The, I, God, you're almost right about that. Because I feel like Lizardmen were good easily in 5th, 6th, and 7th. They were pretty competitive. I don't think they were bad. And I don't think they were necessarily terrible in 8th. They just had a really hard counter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my orcs hated it as well. But, you know, my there's there's a lot of ways to counter orcs. So, you know, you know, don't worry about it too much. <laughs> but the Lizardmen is just like, I'm paying how much for these temple cards? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> and they can't even have heavy armor. And they can't even have heavy armor. That made me <laughs> furious. I was like, I want them I want them to basically be Chaos Warriors but lizards. Why can't I make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Bad times. Bad times. And uh, you know what my big problem was? My big problem was I my main opponent in 8th edition was Skaven. And oh, yeah. you get like stuff like Crack's Call and and all that nonsense and just Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah, I had like Skaven PTSD for years after that. It was just bad. Oh, I can imagine. I still yeah. don't like playing against them. Uh, I get intimidated by the numbers, and it's just, oh, yeah.
0: Just imagine what would have happened if Skaven got an 8th edition army book update.
1: Oh, yeah. And they that was the thing with Skaven. They were so good, and they didn't even need it. They no, didn't even no, need an 8th edition no. book because they were so great. And uh, yeah, they were just ahead of their time they really were because yeah, like definitely. i feel like in seventh edition they were fine and then eighth edition once you got things like the uh skaven slave train that had steadfast for the whole game because you had like 14 ranks and it, it just they were just made for eighth edition without even they were yeah knowing it yeah wild wild stuff should we go over since we've done the other two should we go over quickly the uh miscast table for yeah ma'am, be my yeah. guest cool All right, so this one, uh, we've got a lot of as above's here. So from uh, uh, 10 to 12, we get the wizard wizard, uh, level gets hit for minus D3, which is pretty nasty. Forgets a random spell per wizard level that you have lost. The miscast spell is always the first to go, so you always lose that one. And uh, the wizard may not cast any more spells this phase, so really neuters your wizard. Eight and nine. All friendly casters suffer a strength six hit and D six power dice are lost. Seven. All models in base contact take a strength 10 hit, but not the wizard and D six power dice are lost. Seven is the one. And I know it's the most common that you roll on two D six, but I I feel like it's the one I always rolled in eighth edition. I was always totally fine with it because (laughs) it's just like, okay, I'll just lose a bunch of chaff. That's, that's cool. Uh, five and six, you get the small round template centered on the wizard. All models underneath take a strength 10 hit and D6 power dice are lost. Are you sensing a theme
0: here? Yeah, D6 a little, little bit.
1: <laughs> uh, two, three, and four are our worst ones. It is the large round template over the wizard. All models underneath suffer a strength 10 hit. Uh, roll a D6. On a one to three, the wizard dies. And on a four to six d6 power dice are lost yeah a lot of ways to lose power dice here but you yeah. have a lot of power dice and yeah you're like this is nasty this is well, well, not you, a fun you can thing have a, a
0: on, maximum but... of 12 power dice uh, because even if you have even if you roll maybe uh, like uh, an eighth and you have uh, five or six wizards that channel uh, you still have a maximum of 12
1: power dice in your pool at any time right that's important to to note. yeah so there is a there is an upper limit on that
0: yeah by the way, this uh, this result of a 2, 3, and 4 on the miscast table, the gaming group that I play with, um, it has been decided that the wizard only dies, I believe, on the roll of a 1. So they nerfed oh. this one a little bit uh, just to make it a little bit more, uh, keep your wizard alive a little bit longer.
1: Oh, see, I'd probably go the opposite way of it, but I fear wizards in eighth edition. <laughs> so like, anything that that kills them, I'm I'm kind of okay with. That's that's really interesting, though. I that's really fun, and it it, like it, a it also kills is...
0: your own wizard, right? <laughs> so so well, yeah. I mean,
1: I expect that though, so it's <laughs> it's fine. I, I usually I will always trade my my wizard for my opponents, uh, unless I've got my slan or something. Uh, yeah, so that that is that is kind of the the overview of the magic phase and
0: yeah that is one thing i would like to uh, mention if that's all right because yeah. that's this one of my things that i dislike about eighth edition is that in every edition up to and including seventh you have bound items and a bound item is an item that contains a spell and that spell is automatically cast when you activate the item So, it doesn't take any power dice, but your opponent uh, will have to use Dispel Dice to dispel it. So that is one way to correct that imbalance you have. If you, uh, for example, fail to cast one or two spells and your opponent has a lot of Dispel Dice, then you just uh, have a bound item. And if you're a Tomb Kings player in 6th and 7th edition, you always take a Casket of Souls that can take out the entire opponent's army and force them to save some Dispel Dice for that. Uh-huh. But then in 8th edition, uh, the bound item still has a power level, but the power level must be met first with a casting roll from one of your power dice. So uh, when you have a lot of bound items, um, once again I'm looking at you, Tomb Kings, um, with, uh, for example, the uh, what's he called, the Hero Titan. Uh, the big sorcerer dude that boosts your your magic phase, he contains a couple of Bound Spells. But if you have a fair amount of Lich Priests, you're never going to use those Bound Spells because you need your dice for the uh, Lore, of Nereka- Lore of Nehekara spells that your, your Lich Priests want to cast. Uh-huh. So that makes Bound Spells in 8th edition well less powerful i don't mm. i think it fits with the overall team because the magic phase is maybe powerful enough as it is but it does reduce their usefulness
1: yeah tremendously that's a good point because up until this point i think bound items are pretty great like yeah. hero hammer through 7th edition just because they are that one more thing to worry about that banner that shoots lightning that fireball sort uh staff that kind of thing yeah you make a really good and we hadn't really touched on bound items so that is excellent to put a cap on the magic phase here if you could cherry pick from all of the additions that you've played what what's the most satisfying or the most fun that you've had in the magic phase and uh yeah what, what would you choose or would you just make some kind of chimera of of rules from a bunch of different editions to to make a perfect magic phase
0: oh that's a good one it would definitely include cards my uh my ideal magic phase so uh, we are looking at the fourth or fifth edition uh maybe to start with i do like how in fifth edition you have more spell cards that you can retain and you have more how you can boost the power and dispel. Uh, So I would like to keep that. Mm -hmm. But I would also like to add how in 4th edition you can throw back spells and reselect them and you can cast spells in your opponent's magic phase. So I think my ideal magic phase would be maybe an amalgamation of 4th and 5th edition.
1: Nice. I think that's, that's a strong contender. The cards are a really fun tactile way to get into the magic phase and I do love that game within a game I I might agree with you on a lot of those points there is something to be said for the streamlined simple sixth edition I am a big fan of that I think I think mine would probably be some weird kind of mix of fifth fifth sixth and and like a a sprinkling from eighth of, of a couple of the things that I like there but Yeah, it's it's interesting and uh, it's really funny when you do what we do, which is kind of go back and look at the way things change through editions and kind of see the philosophy that Games Workshop operates with. And sometimes they find something that they like and they just stick with it forever, regardless of whether or not it's good from a game design aspect or anything like that. But they they feel like it is it works like they want it to work and then they just it goes and it stays the same and then other things change from book to book within editions you know when editions change themselves and they're always kind of tinkering with it and you see it a lot in unit entries. You'll get some units that are really stable throughout the eras, and you get some units that are just complete overhauls every edition and the magic phase is one of those that got a lot of changes but more on a era by era basis like you you think that they they liked 6th edition but i think that maybe once they got to 7th they realized oh boy this is you know we've we've kind of made this a little toothless and so they they kind of went back to the philosophy of of the hero hammer era where magic was a little bit more unpredictable but more powerful and I just think it's it's really interesting to see, really interesting side by side like this as well. Maybe if you're okay with it, GJ, we'll put up this little document in uh, in the orchard just so people can look at it because I'm sure people will yeah, get sure. value out of this. And yeah, it's definitely. it's just neat to see how it changed throughout the eras. It's it's been and, really cool uh, to read. If through. anybody
0: wants to add to it, then uh, please do so. Well, one dream that I have for maybe someday is to do this not just for the magic phase, but for the entire game, all the um, rule books, all the army books, all the errata,
1: but that oh, wow. would mean
0: that I have to read through all the books that I have here in my uh, cabinet, uh, and all the white dwarfs and and, and chronicles and everything. <laughs> Sounds so terrible. So that's that's <laughs> a long way off. Uh, yeah. It's definitely not terrible, but uh, <laughs> it's it's more like a uh, a time issue. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That is a that is a big project, if ever I've heard one.
0: Because, uh, well, I keep mixing up all those things between the editions, and that's, uh, remember the game we played uh, the other time, that, yeah. uh, where I asked you uh, which edition happened what? Well, that's something that if you pose those questions to me, I would still be thinking about it now, <laughs> and uh, it, just because I play all those editions interchangeably, and I don't play often enough to, to get those rules stamped in my head and the differences.
1: Yeah. Well, that is going to do it for our look at the Magic Phase and all of the uh, fun changes and and wild swings that it's had over the eras. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode. We had a lot of fun chatting and reminiscing about Magic Phases long past. Let me know what your favorite edition of magic was did you like the cards did you like the dice did you like the wild times of 8th edition or a little bit calmer more stoic 6th edition era and until next time have a great week